0: Hello, I'm Luke Turner. Welcome to Why, the podcast that asks the big scientific questions from the far reaches of space to the tiny realm of nanotechnology and everything in between. Today, is there anybody out there? And if there is, are they already talking to us? Whenever it's a clear and cloudless night and I'm somewhere without light pollution, I'll look up and be dazzled by the magnificent vastness of the universe. It seems preposterous to think that there's nobody out there. But if there were intelligent beings, how would we find them? Earlier this year, astronomers detected a strong repeating radio signal from an exoplanet, an Earth-like world, and the star that it orbits, both located 12 light-years away. It turned out to be the result of the magnetic field of the exoplanet, so it's probably not aliens this time. But nonetheless, it's exciting because it suggests the exoplanet has an atmosphere and the potential for life. And it raises the question, are we already receiving messages from aliens? And if we are, what would they consist of? Presumably not the alien shipping forecast or Top 40, and how would we reply? SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, is both the umbrella name for the hunt for non-human life and also the organization that hopes to find the answer. It now has over 100 scientists from across the world listening and scanning the cosmos to find out if we're really alone.
1: If there is intelligent civilization more advanced than us, they probably know we are not ready and they probably will make sure that they don't have a contact with us so they don't destroy our natural evolution.
0: Dr. Frank Marchis is a senior planetary astronomer at the SETI Institute and chief science officer at Unistella. In 2007, he even had an asteroid, the 6639 Marches, named after him.
1: We should not be afraid of meeting an advanced civilization because they know we are here. And if they really wanted to destroy us, they're already on their way.
0: Now, first question, the most important thing to get out of the way, how's your asteroid? Where is it? How's it doing?
1: Uh, My asteroid is fine. I observed it last year and it's still orbiting between Mars and Jupiter, like a million of other asteroids. So
0: everything is fine. So your work at SETI, what's the latest developments? What's the latest things you've been working on with the idea of listening out into space?
1: Yes, yeah, so I work at the SETI Institute, which is a non-profit organization in the, in the Silicon Valley, in the Bay Area, nearby San Francisco. We do a lot of different research over there. Our role is to find life, any type of life in the universe. We have access to what we call the Allen Telescope Array, which is an array of uh, small antennas in north of California. And we use this to listen to um, thousands of stars in the hope of detecting signals. We have partnership with other groups such as Breakthrough Listen and Green Bank Telescopes to use their facility to do the same. So to be honest, we have not yet found any technological signal, but we have found some very interesting signals in the past. Uh, In February we announced that's the group with Breakthrough Listen at City Berkeley, they announced the detection of eight signals that could be techno signatures coming from uh, five different planetary systems. Unfortunately, those signals never repeated, so we don't really know where they are.
0: Because that's the thing that's interesting, isn't it? When we think of radio signals, do we mean something very different from how we might normally conceive of radio signals in, a sort of in our human existence? So, so planets themselves, such as YZ, SETI, can emit radio waves or, or emit signals, and, that, and, and that's what you're looking for too, is that correct?
1: Yeah, in fact, radio is emitted by everything in the universe. You emit radio as yourself because you you hot and you have part of your emission that is in radio wave. There is some object like radio burst, fast radio bursts, quasars, pulsars, etc. in the universe that emit a lot of radio waves. What we are looking for is not natural radio waves. We're looking for artificial ones. basically the TV or the cell phones of those alien civilization. If they know we are here, they can also beam the information to us so we know that they exist. And a a natural signal is incoherent basically, contain all different types of uh, signals. And artificial signals, we have a very specific signatures. We don't really know what, but we know we will be able to recognize when something is
0: artificial. Can you explain a little bit about the Fermi Paradox, also known as Where Are All the Aliens? What is the Fermi Paradox? So the Fermi
1: Paradox was mentioned by Fermi himself in the 60s. And the idea, to very simplify it, is that if there is a lot of planets and and potentially habitable planets in our galaxy, then our galaxy should be full of technological civilization. So Fermi asked, where are those? Where are those civilizations? How come we don't see them? So that's the paradox, because if life is everywhere in our galaxy, Fermi and other people thought that there should be a lot of those civilizations and they should be detectable.
0: We should have seen them already. And what's your stance on the paradox?
1: Well, my stance is that, as I mentioned, it's an idea from the 60s and that's truly an idea, the idea that we are going to evolve the way we thought we will evolve in the sixties. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that civilization are smarter than what we were in the, in the sixties, meaning that if you are an intelligent civilization and you grow, you reach and you start traveling through space, you probably notice that there is other places on other planets with civilization, which are not yet ready. So instead of communicating with them and destroying them, which have happened in the past on Earth, you basically avoid them. So if there is intelligent civilization more advanced than us, they probably know we are not ready, and they probably will make sure that they don't have a contact with us so they don't destroy our natural evolution. That's one of the solutions, I think, of the Fermi
0: Paradox. Oh, wow, that's quite a philosophical interpretation that's really really interesting so those signals you were just telling us about you think those are artificial is that right?
1: Yes they're artificial because they are typically in a narrow wavelength and they seem to contain information they could be terrestrial and that's something very important that I should mention that Unfortunately, human beings are using a lot of radio waves. You are using it. We're using it right now to communicate. What happened is that there was these interferences with the human radio wave that can be collected by those antennas. So maybe what we detected, it's not something coming from space, but something coming from an object in orbit around Earth, for instance, a spy satellite or something like this. So that's the reason we cannot claim we have detected aliens by technosignature Yet, because we have not heard this signal again, any of them, and we cannot confirm that they are truly coming from those planetary systems.
0: How would you be able to confirm that?
1: They're now in the hot list, I will say. Now everybody who has access to a radio antenna, they are listening to them. And in the hope of uh, getting another signal, another time. But this time we will be ready. And in fact, we are practising That's uh, the next project I want to talk to you about called the Sign in Space.
0: Okay, go on. What is the Sign in Space? So the Sign in Space
1: is um, an experiment put together by Daniela De Paulis. She's an artist, and artist in residence at the SETI Institute. And she realized that we're not truly ready to, and most people say, what's going to happen? We're going to get a signal. And frankly, I don't have a clear answer to that because we're not ready. We don't know what's going to happen. So what we did with Daniela, the team that is a big team behind this project, we managed to convince the European Space Agency to let us use one of the spacecraft in orbit around Mars to send a signal to us. So Daniela and a f- core team of three people collect, design a, an artificial signal. They send this artificial signal to the computer onboard the ESA TGO spacecraft And this signal came to us, sent by TGO, pretending that it's an extraterrestrial signal. Antennas around the world, the Allen Telescope Array, the Green Bank, the Medicina, and a lot of others, apparently, received this signal. And now we are in a part where people have received this signal. We make these files available to the rest of the world. And people are trying now to understand the content of this signal to understand what this signal is about. So she's been working in preparing us to interpreting the content of a signal coming from an extraterrestrial civilization.
0: And have you had a big response to that from sort of amateur enthusiasts, amateur people listening in? Way more than we thought we will.
1: That's the most extraordinary part is that we did a city live, a live show during um, the reception of the signal. We have like 10,000 people watching us live. And then now we have a discord and I didn't look at the last number, but there is more than 3000 people working together in decoding. That's what they did already. So it's been extracting the information from the this, from this radio wave. And now they're working on the interpretation of the signal together. And there's div- a lot of different paths taken by those groups. Some think it's an image. Some think it's a map. Other think it's mathematical content, etc. We don't know. Only Dan- Daniela De Paulis and two other people on this planet truly know the content of the signal. I don't.
0: Right. Okay, that's really interesting, because that's quite a common thing in science fiction, isn't it? Some old guy in the shed tuning in and finding an alien communication. But I suppose with the variety of interpretations that people are going to come up with for this one message that has a meaning, is there a strong risk that any signals we get, we're going to completely get the wrong end of the stick?
1: It's totally possible. But if aliens wants to communicate with us, They will probably find a way to explain to us how to decode the signal. My take on that is that first they will send probably a signal which is clearly artificial. So it could be music, could be a a mathematical pattern, some kind of uh, uh, numbers which represent prime numbers and so on. And then there will be a content. The problem of the, the the other part of the signal is that we don't really know who are those aliens, how they think. May, what is important to them. Are they kind of an end society with a queen? Are they like us, maybe individualist? Do they live in multiple, not dimension, but multiple terrain or multiple planets, which seems to be natural to them? Then the signal, the content of the signal will be extremely different. And that will be tough for us to understand it. So to answer briefly to your question, I will say they will send us a signal that clearly say they are here and they're intelligent. And then they will send a signal telling us a bit more about themselves. And that's the one we're going to have a difficulty to understand, probably.
0: Hi, I'm Katie Riley. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not
1: a trial. This is not a... An act of criminality.
0: We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court, told through the transcripts. Listen now to the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts. So there are thousands of people searching for and practicing decoding messages from aliens and it's just a matter of time before the little green people get in touch. However, in the same time as listening, we're also sending out our own messages. So rather than asking are we receiving messages from aliens, is the real question, should we be reaching out to the universe? There's a school of thought illustrated in the best-selling science fiction book Three-Body Problem by Liu Xuxing that we really shouldn't be contacting aliens because they might treat us in the way that Western colonists treated indigenous people around the world. Is this advice to be heeded?
1: This is a view of the year 2000. That's basically we are all gonna die—a kind of attitude—and everybody is evil and etc. I mean, I like I like the book, but if aliens are smart and slightly more advanced than us, and they have invented, for instance, the next generation of space telescope that we are going to build in ten, fifteen years, they already know we are here. It's not that difficult. They know we are here because they can just look at our planetary system, detect Earth see the Earth's atmosphere and see, for instance, some changes of on the Earth's atmosphere due to the presence of seasonal effects, natural effects like our biosphere, but also detect the presence of our industry or they even detect the presence of the cities and the light of our cities. So, if they're slightly more advanced than us, they know we are here. So they already know we exist. They know a lot about us already, if they're like not too far away. So. This fear that we should not beam into space, it's already happening. We have been beaming into space radio waves since the 60s or the 50s. So in fact, they, if they build gigantic telescopes, they already also know we are here and they will be already have been listening to us. So we should not be afraid of meeting an advanced civilization because they know we are here. And, and if they w- really wanted to destroy us, they're already on their way or they already have been here before?
0: Do you think they could have already been here? That's
1: a very good question. That's a question I ask myself every day. As a scientist, I will tell you I need some proof. I need some to do a study. As a human being, I will say that the universe is so big. The galaxy has 400 billion stars, 300 million planets, which are potentially habitable. So I'm very convinced there is other technological civilization in our
0: galaxy. So I thought it was interesting with the Voyager message was a physical description of human art, the human form. I suppose another life form might have an entirely different way of conceiving who they are or even what communication is. How far do you have to go in sort of thinking outside of an anthropocenic way of being?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. And in fact, I mean, the Voyager signal is an amazing uh, signal, but more than anthropocentric is anthropocentric from the 60s and the 70s. I mean, it's this vision that we send a signal, we tell us about ourselves, our civilization, etc. It's a great idea. But if now I had to design a signal, and I'm working on that, to be, uh, to be honest, that's something I'm working on a paper on this and not yet finalized this, I would probably send something which is kind of a LLM, a JAD GPT in space. I will send the algorithm of this. So this way, these aliens, if they're smart and they invented AI like we did, they will receive basically the core of our knowledge and they will be able to communicate with us directly. So to know about us, they will be able to ask this algorithm about ourselves. So that's what I meant by that is that we changed so quickly in the past 40 years that If I have to design a signal now, I will be doing something completely, radically different to what was done for Voyager. And what I will do is LLM, send this kind of algorithm in space.
0: That's really interesting, because that's something I've always thought, even when I was growing up, a long time after that message was sent out, it looks like something from that time. There's a sort of hippie utopianism to it, almost, in some ways. And I'm wondering if now we'd be sending a slightly uh, more anxious or uh, less less optimistic message out.
1: I think we, we always send something that makes us look good, huh? no matter right. what. Okay. <laughs> And in fact, that's the content of the of the paper I'm I'm thinking about right now. I'm writing with a colleague, is that if we really want to send something like a, a GPT in space for aliens, what should we put in this ChatGPT? Shall we truly put everything about us, or shall we just kind of mimic the personality of one of the greatest human beings we had on this planet? meaning like, oh, should we invent someone completely artificial? So these aliens, they talk to someone who is very positive, has a very good state of mind, show us the best way as possible and do not reveal some very controversial or very sensitive information.
0: Wow. How do you approach that as a scientist when you're sitting down? It must be quite different from some of your other work. If you're trying to write this as a paper and an algorithm and a communication to potential other life forms, how do you get in the mindset to to write that?
1: I talk about it. And in fact, this is the first time I talk about that publicly. So I never mentioned it before. And I try to partner with people who who are interested in this research so right now we are really on the first stage where we are putting the outline of our paper on our ideas and we are checking the feasibility. We have done that and it's truly feasible. We can send a
0: ChatGPT in a few hours to space. And so once you've created the message you're working on at the moment and this using ChatGPT GPT and algorithms, how would you then transmit that message into space? What's the technological way of doing that? So we are
1: working right now on this idea of sending the entire algorithm and the database using lasers. Because lasers are better to send information than radio wave in a way that they can send more information in a short amount of time. Radio waves are great, but they are not... They, you, you will take significantly more time to send the entire algorithm using radio wave. That's one of the reasons we are drifting from radio to laser on our own planet, as you probably heard about some new satellites have the capability to communicate between themselves and also with the ground using lasers. So we think we'll be able to do this kind of technology to communicate with those aliens, send them our chat GPT, for instance. Unfortunately, lasers are monodirectional. So you need to target the area. You Basically, you cannot launch it to space randomly. You need to, to aim at something. So we will have to aim at different planetary systems where we believe there is potentially life, intelligence life there.
0: Fantastic. And I was wondering as well, like with the, the huge distances in of space, are lasers faster? I mean, I was wondering if, if you were sending a message are you necessarily going to still be around by the time you hear the reply? Are lasers a quicker way of transmitting across the universe?
1: Speed of light is a speed of light for any type of photon, radio to uh, to lasers. So no, it's not going to be faster. And that's one of the reasons I'm I'm, I've am talking. been thinking about this JAT-GPT for SETI. It's because we will send an algorithm and information into space and if they receive it in 200, 400 years, thousands of years, I don't know, and we are not here anymore, they will be able to uh, communicate with us by proxy without knowing, without having to be close to us. And if we disappear as a, as a civilization, it will be kind of the testimony of our own civilization, a souvenir that we will have lunch in space. And in fact, in the paper, we're also thinking about putting some kind of chat GPT algorithm computer on board every spacecraft we launch to space because they will drift forever into space and they will carry with them the knowledge of humanity.
0: As you heard, the SETI project, A Sign in Space, has transmitted an encoded message all the way from the orbit of Mars to simulate receiving a signal from an extraterrestrial intelligence. SETI is inviting professionals and amateurs alike to receive and attempt to decode the message. If you fancy a go, it's online now. So that's it for us today on Why. Thank you to Dr. Frank Marchis. Thank you for having me. We'll be back with more scientific anomalies, conundrums and weird facts soon. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you don't miss an edition and follow us on social media too. Links are in the show notes. I've been Luke Turner asking... Why? See you next time.
1: Why was written and presented by Luke Turner. The lead producer was Anne-Marie Luff. And the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. And the group editor is Andrew Harrison. Artwork is by James Parrott. Theme music is by DJ Food. Why is a Podmasters production.